What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the episode is part two with Laura Roeder, founder of Meet Edgar. Managers will often say things like, they like they don't care they're they're lazy they just like can't you know be bothered to do it to the right level um and when you ask employees why they didn't perform they usually have a good reason this is another episode of our innovation and leadership series where we interview pro athletes world-class musicians ceos hollywood filmmakers and a wide variety of other high achievers before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode 6. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. It's a pretty incredible social media tool. It's a huge time saver in the way that not only can you schedule your posts, but it will continually repost for you on set schedules and and uh, help you really get multiple benefits from crafting one good piece of content rather than having all of us on the hamster wheel constantly putting out more and more content that may not have as high a quality and uh, and feel like we're dying, <laughs> zombie, zombie feeling. Um, but where we left off on part one was something that's a real soapbox for me. And it's the difference between trading hours for dollars versus building a system that can work for us. And I feel like in America, at least we do, we don't do that great a job of defining the difference. We, we lump it all together as entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and we don't differentiate between solopreneur or having a, a small business where you have to be present for it to work versus building the kind of system that can have a lot of duplication that can really grow independent of, of your personal hours. Um, in your case, it was a constraint that happened to you. Uh, being pregnant mm-hmm. as you're building this business, knowing you're going to have to be gone for three months. But from what you've learned about it, what advice would you give to anyone listening today who they think that sounds way better to be able to <laughs> <laughs> to have a system like that instead of like, you know, my friend says, I love entrepreneurship. I get to pick which 16 hours a day I want to work. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, I think one of the biggest realizations that I had is 
if you think that you're the only one that can do things, you literally believe that you are the most clever person on this planet. You know, you're like, when I make partnership calls out of the billions of other people on this planet, I am the only one that can make this partnership calls, right? And I think realizing how absurd, how totally absurd that belief is helps you realize that anything that you can do, anything on your list, other people can do. And also recognizing the truth that like a human is going to have to get this done. So I think this is a common mistake entrepreneurs make is they're obsessed with like productivity and optimization and time management, but you can't like optimize 16 hours of work into 10 hours of work. You know what I mean? Like we just, we only have so many productive hours in a day and there's a lot that needs to get done in a business. And the way to get those things done is to bring on other people because then you get their hours too, right? Then the business isn't just your hours. It's lots of people's hours. Um, and I think people are really scared of that. I mean, especially like when they first start to grow a team, people have a lot of bad experiences, right? Where they're like, oh, someone stole from me and I can't trust them. Or they went and start a competitive business. Like people have these bad things happen and then they just decide that, you know, this is hard or this is not right for them. But the truth is, if you want this life where you're not working like crazy, everything still needs to get done and, and somebody's going to have to do it. it. It's interesting. You think about this idea, I think for so many of us, um, I think about like, have you seen any of those Ted talks from Brene Brown? You... Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think about my time consulting, you know, our, we've got a consulting firm now. Um, I used to be a director at a, at a different firm where I was in charge of the special operations command and intelligence agency clients. So, I'm like going to San Diego and teaching leadership classes to Navy SEALs or going to Washington, D.C. and teaching like real life spies. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense of like, oh, no, these guys have got it all put together. They don't have any insecurities. They're just going to eat me uh -huh. for lunch. Right. Um, but really, it was fascinating to become real friends with some of these guys and realize they have the same insecurities as the rest of us. Like yeah. Brene Brown says that she thinks most of us have this internal uh, issue that we're worried if the group knew the truth about us, knew the truth about us, maybe they'd want to disconnect from us. Mm, mm -hmm. And so we like work really hard to create all these external proofs to prove that we're a value, to prove that we matter, to prove that we belong, right? Mm -hmm. To whatever group we think is valuable. And in entrepreneurship, like how much money have you raised or how many clients right. you have or what's your revenue or, um, you know, what magazines have wanted to cover you, all these externals, they they add up so that we don't have to really consider the truth, like that humans are worth as much as other humans, independent of external proof. Mm -hmm. In entrepreneurship, you can just work harder and you can get more proof and feed that like <laughs> never ending black hole inside ourselves, right? <laughs> of like the jury's never the jury never stamps our case approved, right? right. <laughs> so I'm interested in this thought because it does take a level of humility to look in the mirror and go. Uh, yeah, I have a unique aptitude and I've, I've built some skill sets to achieve some levels of mastery to be able to accomplish this. And if I've done this, there's probably other humans who can too. Mm -hmm. Because if we're trying to hold ourselves up as, as belonging, as someone worthy of, you know, respect or something like this, it, it feels competitive if somebody else is, could be as good as us at right. something, right? Right. Yeah. And it feels a little, it feels a little threatening, right. To, to our self-importance. Um, I remember I was on, I went on vacation for like two weeks and I came back and I was talking to uh, our, our head of operations and I was like, did I, you know, did everything go okay while I was gone? And I was like, was, you know, is anything weird? And she was like, um, 
she's like, you know, we didn't do, usually you do those, those podcasts and like, we didn't do any of those. And that was, <laughs> that was the only thing. And I was like, my podcast interviews, that's like the value. That's the value that I add to this company. Like, okay. Um, so it like, you know, it honestly like made me feel like kind of bad and kind of amazing. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like, didn't they miss me? Right, right, I, exactly. I wasn't here, you know? Yeah, you want to keep yourself like doing so much so that everyone will like see how important you are and miss you so much while it's gone. But I mean, at the end of the day, I would much rather trade that, you know, false importance for, yeah, being able to spend time with my family. It it is interesting, right? When we're thinking about starting the businesses, we we have all these dreams of what success would look like at the end and all this freedom. And then most of us design lives that that turn us into a slave to this organization like mm-hmm where we work for it, it doesn't work for us, right? Mm. Um, I'm interested in, as you think about developing staff, this idea of, you know, humility plus responsibility or mm. things like this. Um, as you're, you know, having one-on-ones with staff or, or you think about leadership development within the organization, what are some of the kind of the theories that, that you use to grow the kind of business that you don't have to be present? Yeah, so um, one of my favorite uh, books on the topic is uh, it has the worst title. Talking about headlines, the worst title of all time. It's called Coaching for Improved Work Performance um, <laughs> by Ferdinand Foundries. He does have a great name to make up for his horrible title. Uh, and something that I learned from that book is he was talking about how when you ask managers um, why people didn't perform, managers will often say things like, they like they don't care. They're they're lazy. They just like can't you know be bothered to do it to the right level. Um, and when you ask employees why they didn't perform, they usually have a good reason. Like in his example, it was more about um, you know kind of retail employees or something like that, where they'll be like, "Well, I don't do that thing he wants me to do on the cash register because it never works. It always gives me an error message when I do it that way, so I just do it this way instead." Or like. I did all the cleaning, but then someone else came and they, you know, cleaned it in a different way that I didn't know I was supposed to clean it. So the next time I just waited for them to do it. Like people have reasons why they do things. And people, most people are inherently motivated um, to do a good job just, just for the satisfaction and, you know, the personal achievement, the enjoyment of it. And especially, so that's kind of retail level. When we're talking about like knowledge worker type of jobs, like hopefully people aren't getting into your company that are just like, whatever. I'll like, maybe I'll just do the bare minimum. Maybe these people will pay me. Like probably it's a, it's a higher bar there yet. Sometimes we go there when there's performance issues of just like, Oh, well they don't like, you know, care enough. And they, you know, apparently can't be bothered to complete this project. So I think looking at that perspective of, okay, just assume that everyone's, everyone's trying their best like they, that might not connect with what you think the best is for whatever reason, but start with that outlook that they want to do this well, you know, and also that you don't have to motivate them. Like, I don't believe that the employer motivates the employee. I believe that people are, are inherently self-motivated. So yeah, those are, I feel like this is getting really, really complex really quickly, but those are kind of a few things that I believe about managing people. Well, Listen, uh, I'm, I'm literally buying this on Kindle <laughs> as, we, as we talk. I just click the place order button. Um, but, you know, I, I'm thinking about this book by Marshall, uh, Marshall Rosenberg called Nonviolent Communication, where he talks about how often things go sideways when we assign intent to somebody else's mm-hmm. action rather mm-hmm. than asking about it, rather than finding out about it. Right. And like, 
I remember some of my biggest struggles with staff members changed when I was listening to this audiobook that talked about maybe they're not resisting you. Maybe you haven't done your job enough to be clear. Mm. And you're confusing uh, resistance to lack of clarity to resistance to you directing the business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had these pair of sunglasses on that were like, no, they're the problem. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it was this great, like, check your blind spots kind of moment for me. Um, and fascinating how self-fulfilling prophecies can be when you assume that people want to do their best and that there's maybe something we're not doing as the boss or mm-hmm. that we're not understanding as the boss that when you actually have an, an open and honest conversation about it, that they come out, right? Yeah. Yeah. The way that, um, our, our head of operations, Sarah puts it, she always says that like, we have to, if, if we're thinking about letting someone go, we have to earn our way out of the relationship because we really messed up. Like if we hired someone and then we need to let them go, we messed up in the first place, right? We, for whatever reason, we didn't see that they weren't going to be a fit. So if that's the path you're going down, like we, we have to earn our way out, meaning we have to make sure that we've done everything because that is a big deal to let someone go. It's very disruptive to their life. It's, you know, it's disruptive to the organization. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not fun, but, but it needs to happen. Um, so we have to make sure like, okay, do we feel a hundred percent clear that we've done everything we can, that we have set the expectations so clear and we have made it really easy for them where it's black and white of like, you know, this is what you were asked to do. And it didn't happen. Like just very yes or no question. And if we feel very confident that that's happened, then we have earned our way out of that relationship. It's interesting. The internal conflict firing people, right? Mm. Like when we know that we're making their life harder Mm. And, and I actually feel like it's worse when I haven't gotten to that place that you're talking about of like this, like level of deep honesty mm-hmm. about, you know, Hey, if I keep them, am I not being responsible to the business? Right. You know, like, am I letting them go because yeah, they mess some things up and I'm mad at them or right. like, have I really, like you said, given them the opportunity to win? Like, have I earned the right to mm-hmm. make this decision? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> unfortunately for me, many times it's like, no, there's a serious lack of clarity on my part. Mm-hmm. There's, there's mm-hmm. a like, I haven't, if I'm really honest with myself, yeah, I'm mad at them right now, but I haven't given them the tools to win. And that, right. and like, can I really feel good about letting them go when I haven't given them the, the tools to win, which might just be like the frank conversation of, Hey, you're dropping the ball. And yeah. if this continues, we won't be able to keep you. Right. You know, sometimes I'm, I get this like list of shoulds going in my head. Like, mm-hmm. Well, they should know. Every, everybody knows. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Yeah. Not so helpful. Yeah. That's exactly it. Right. Have you had that? Have you had that really honest conversation? And, you know, something else that, that we found really hard is that everyone, everyone who comes through the doors is really great. Like when we let someone go, they're, they're, really, really talented, um, and really great to work with. They're just for various reasons, like not a fit for the company right now. Um, which, you know, maybe they were a fit six months ago, or maybe they will be a fit a year from now. We're growing really fast, right? You know, we've gone from like zero to 18 people in two years. Um, so that's another thing that we've really had to like form this deep understanding of as a team. Like when we're letting someone go, it's not because, they suck, like not, not even close because they, they wouldn't have made it this far, um, if they weren't good at what they do. And so, cause it's so hard to let someone go being like, but they're a really talented developer. Are we really like letting them go? They're so talented, but it's like, yes, this isn't, it isn't what's right for us right now. Well, and I think for me too, like, I think of that, like cardboard cutout version of myself. I wish everybody believed, right. <laughs> 
And uh, for me, like a lot of times I've wanted to, you know, besides wearing the badge of busy, like, you know, when people ask you, how you do, oh, I'm so busy. Like somehow that makes us important. Right. The other, the other badge is the nice boss. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let's face it. The nice boss doesn't fire people, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, really like tearing that badge off and just being like the responsible leader has been harder because I preferred the nice boss label, <laughs> you know, uh. Anyway. Hey, uh, another question we like to ask guests is we've got this charity, Child Rescue, trying to prevent child trafficking. And um, we're always trying to get more people involved and generate more supporters. And um, like one of the things we've got right now, we've got this program. It's uh, the website's cares.savvy, which is S-A-V-V-I dot com slash rescue. And it's this program where people sign up for basically like a Costco membership. It's like 15 bucks a month but it'll save them like 20 bucks a month on their cell phone bill. Plus, you know, discounts on flights and hotels and all the shopping kind of stuff, right? Kind of like an Amazon Uh smile type of thing. So we're trying to, Oh, what happens is five bucks from that Costco membership ends up going to our charity every month. So we can, you know, help feed the kids at the aftercare orphanage in Peru or stuff like this. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you were us or you're our advisor saying trying to help generate traffic, uh, maybe coming from social or something else to try and get people to this landing page. What are what are kind of some of the go to things that you'd suggest to us? Uh, well, can I can I go like off script a little a little yeah, bit? Yeah, go ahead. Like maybe not so directly related to that, but and I'm not familiar with your organization, so sorry if I'm just like rehashing something that you already do really well. Um, but as far as encouraging donors, you know, an organization I always look to is um, Donors Choose. Mm. And you're probably familiar with how they, you get, uh, like letters from the kids that you help. Do you know Mm -hmm. about this? Well, I saw that you like, you know, the school teacher will like take a picture of the art supplies and send it to you. So you get proof or something. I didn't know about the letters. Yeah. So you often get, or, or always, I'm not sure. Every time I've donated, I have, you get, uh, like actual like cards and letters from the kids in the class because they'll have the kids, you know, make you like a little homemade thank you card being like, thanks for the tambourines. We use them all the time. Um, so you get this like big envelope in the mail, just full of like joy, you know, just these <laughs> just adorable, wonderful, like little cards they've made. Um, and of course it costs overhead for the organization to, you know, mail these and, and blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's a bit of sacrifice there, but it makes it so fun to donate. And so as an organization, we've given employees, donors choose gift cards. So the employee gets to choose the project and then like, we'll all post on Slack uh, you know, pictures of the cards mm. the kids sent us. It's just, it's a really, it's just a really fun idea. So I think whenever a nonprofit can do anything to connect um, the donor with not just like a kind of generic thank you from someone who has been helped, but if you can like go as far as to make that connection, which technology is starting to allow us to do to like the actual human that your $5 helped, um, that just is so moving to people and so makes them understand like, okay, this isn't just a photo that they took three years ago of some kid in one of their programs. Like this is a kid now that my $5 actually went to. Mm. Yeah. There's something about closing the loop, right? Yeah. The feeling like you got to follow the water all the way to the end of the row with that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think, you know, charity water has done something similar with the wells, like showing you the actual well, that your money went to. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, nonprofits are like, uh, that's going to be like a logistical nightmare. Like, can't we just show them another? Well, they'll never, uh-huh. they'll never know the difference, but it just, it creates that meaningful human connection when you know that it's, it's the actual, uh, person or project that your money went to. Sure. 
Yeah, that's great advice, especially, um, you know, it's funny is I, our Canadian partner who got us involved with the, with the Peruvian group for this charity where for the, uh, aftercare orphanage, we just helped fundraise to build the second building for, mm-hmm. um, before we were officially partnered with them, I was on this, like, you know, just personally giving them 25 bucks a month for buying kids food. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, ah, oh, I'm so busy with child rescue. I'm already giving so much there. Do I need to keep this up? And it was like that week that I got a photo of these two little five-year-old kids, mm-hmm. you know, former street kids who had been hurt by adults that were being helped there, you know, chowing down on some bread yeah. at the table. I was like, okay, never mind. I'll just, <laughs> I'm going to be giving these guys money the rest of my life. Right. right. Um, it is interesting because it was like, it was like an authentic photo. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't too doctored up. It wasn't too formulaic. Right. right? right. Um, okay. Great advice. Well, um, another question for us, we always like to hear, um, is there anyone that set a good example for you either early in your career, or early in life of how to treat others that, that you try to be more like? I mean, so like everyone I know, <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, it's hard to come up. It's hard to come up with one answer. I mean, some of the people that I think about, so when I first started working for myself, I was 22 and I needed to find business owners in Chicago where I lived. So I would go to um, the chamber of commerce networking event. So I could meet business owners. And I was just like, so out of my element, you know, everyone there was like 20 or 30 years older than me. Um, I had no idea what to say. I had no idea how to run a business. Like I was just starting from scratch and I made a few friends who were experienced business owners, um, who just like sat, sat me down and like told me, (laughs) told me what they knew about running a business. Um, I remember my friend Adrian. She was running a, a lingerie, a local lingerie boutique at the time, and I met her at one of these networking events. And I remember having lunch with her and being like, "Adrian, I know I'm supposed to be writing proposals, but I don't really understand what they are. Like, can you tell me what a proposal is?" And she taught me some of the basics of like understanding the finances of a business. Um, and I just like when I think of how like naive I was, I just really appreciate those people spending their time, um, helping me, you know, sharing what they had learned. And I love that about entrepreneurship. You know, it's not so much about like these like gurus or big figureheads. It's just, I have a lot of entrepreneurs who are friends and and those are my favorite people to ask for advice and talk to, you know, they're not necessarily famous or running giant empires. They're just like good people in the trenches every day. and, And that's who inspires me. It's interesting how that generosity becomes contagious, huh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, yeah, you can't, when someone's helped you like that, you can't like, I don't know. It's hard to turn down someone young who's asking you about finances. <laughs> You're like, oh, you don't know. Someone has to tell you. Okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, um, thinking of somebody who is fancy, uh, I think I saw a, a picture of you with Richard Branson. Did you get to meet him somewhere? I did. Yeah. I, I got to go on, um, actually two trips with, um, Virgin Unite. Um, so I got to go on safari, uh, in South Africa and also to a Necker Island. Uh, awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty awesome. He's a guy who I feel like has a lot of generosity and Mm -hmm. is not, you know, like it seems like he's actively trying to help the rest of us catch up in the way he's (laughs) generous with his advice and stuff. What, what was your experience with him? So he's definitely someone I, I look up to in a huge way. And what was so interesting to me the first time I met him um, which was in South Africa, was he was, if you want to talk about someone who is not busy, Richard Branson is like the least busy dude I've ever met, <laughs> which was totally shocking to me. Like what he would do on the trip is he would just like sit and look 
at the landscape, sit around and chat with people. He was not on his phone. He did not have, you know, assistants coming up, pulling him away for calls or whatever. Uh, he, he truly has just like it found great people to run his organizations and then totally delegated it. Um, really, really, and truly lives, you know, charity first, family first, uh, And it's a great reminder, you know, like you were talking about before, when you get caught up in these ideas of, yeah, I have to, you know, have all this external proof of how well I'm doing, or I have to seem busy, or no one will think I'm important. It's like, well, Richard Branson seems to be (laughs) pretty successful and well-respected and, you know, seems to be doing great things in the world. And he is not busy. And he obviously has the wisdom to know that he is not the only human in the world um, that can do these really important things. So I definitely think about him if I'm feeling self-conscious that I should be doing more. You know, it's interesting for me. It's like the difference between short-term thinking and long-term thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's like, uh, you know, when I, when my five-year-old spills something or didn't clean up and you're thinking like, you know, my willpower gas tank is on empty. <laughs> do I really want to take the time to teach him how to clean that? Right. Or <laughs> should I just do it myself? Yeah. You know? And you think about the level of thinking. I mean, I think about that old How to Win or uh, Think and Grow Rich Napoleon Hill book, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not called Work Hard and Grow Rich, even though the (laughs) advice we give to everyone else is to work hard, right? Uh, You think about the level of thinking it takes a Richard Branson to design the kind of businesses that have enough margin that he can afford the best people to hire them so that he doesn't have to be there, right? Right. And that doesn't happen by accident. What happens by accident is somebody says, hey, can you come do this? And they're offering just enough money for (laughs) for what you're willing to do it for. Uh, You know uh, what I mean? Or, um, you know, you think of like, I've got this and we're making enough. And and how cheap is the cheapest person who's barely (laughs) qualified to get this done? Right. right. I I remember hiring at at our investment fund. We'd hired mostly kind of, you know, $60,000 and $80,000 a year kind of staff and, and we had one in-house lawyer. I think we paid her like 180 and she was awesome, but, um, maybe 160, something like that. But this one point we brought on a guy, he'd been a 15 year engineer. We were doing energy investment stuff. And then he'd gone and done 15 years in the finance world. Um, and we, we brought him on. It was like 300 grand a year. Uh. And I'm just thinking like, Oh my gosh, what are we doing? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he completely changed my life. Mm. He he had so much confidence with what we were doing. He took us into other investment banking firms and like started negotiating deals of like, yeah, I, I think you guys should give us that company for stock. <laughs> we, we're not going to pay cash for it. And I'm like, we can do that. We're allowed. You know, like yeah. I thought we had to be a huge firm to be able to ask for it. And um, it was just fascinating. And what's funny is we brought on two guys of this, what seemed like the same caliber at that same rate. One guy was a total waste of money and we had, we paid him for like three months, 20 grand a month before we let him go. It was like the worst 60 grand ever. But then the other guy like completely changed my life, like made me want this like quest for people who can solve problems without you kind of thing. Um, And I like wanted to like, okay, who's the most expensive person that the business can afford, (laughs) right? Who's the most qualified? Um, Anyway, well, listen, uh, parting advice. What if you, if you could speak to a younger self or... Just advice for innovators out there in general. What what's kind of your soapbox? What would you what would you put out there? Yeah, you know, based off what we we're just talking about, when are you going to do the things? 
that you want to do. I mean, so mm-hmm. often you talk to people, like you mentioned, you're consulting. So being in software, a lot of people, you know, are in consulting and they want to be in software, right? They want to, they say, I don't like the consulting business. I want to do a software business instead, but they have no, there's just this idea of like someday, I don't know, they're going to like win the lotto and all their staff will be struck dead on the same day. And that will be the opportunity to start over, <laughs> you know, like, you, <laughs> I don't know if that's the fantasy, like you have to, you have to choose this and, and it's, there's never a good time and, and it's never easy, you know, to make these changes. And again, so often people are like, Oh, I'd love to have the type of business where I can leave for three months and my staff just does it without me. So it's like, well, what, what choices are you making today to make that happen? Um, something, a phrase that I always repeat to myself is just, you reap what you sow. And so I just always remember, okay, what, what seeds am I planting today? What am I doing today? Where in a month from now and a year from now and 30 years from now, I can, I can reap what I'm sowing today because you have to plant the seeds sometime if you want it to happen. Yeah, that's so true. This idea of like, if that's the fruit I want to pick, right? Like, mm-hmm. am I planting that kind of seed? Yeah. Um, cause the default, I mean, look at us, we all go to school, we get programmed to do your own work, right? And get, we get programmed to like try and win the award of getting the A plus and everybody look at us for the work we did. Right. Um, where if you're going to build a business, that's hard enough work, but if you're going to add to it, designing and doing the work to build the systems that eventually will not need you, like until you can afford that, you kind of have to do both jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's painful and there's no short-term fire to build the long-term program. No wonder it gets put off. Right. 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 Yeah. It's not, it's, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard choice. You know, you, you are going to, yeah, maybe make less money in your business now so that you can do less billable work, right. And focus more on these longer term, uh, longer term projects, whatever it's, it's not going to fall in your lap. You have to make that hard choice every day. Yeah. Well, listen, everybody listening, go to meetegger.com, sign up. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll take less your time. So you can, so you can spend that time, uh, building the kind of business that eventually doesn't need you to be physically present, but um, hanging out with Richard Branson while Edgar does your social media. Right. Right. Seriously. You heard it here first folks. Okay. (laughs) Thanks again for making time. I really enjoyed the conversation. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.